0: Hello, and welcome to the 10th anniversary year of the Minorities in Publishing podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Baker. The Minorities in Publishing podcast first aired on August 14th, 2014. And this year I'll be celebrating with new guests, return guests, and some book giveaways. For new and returning listeners you may know, you can find the podcast on Tumblr at minoritiesinpublishing.tumblr.com, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at minoritiesinpub. You can also sign up for the monthly MIP newsletter for info on new episodes, guests and industry news, as well as job or writing opportunities. Minorities of Publishing is available wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. It's also available on the podcasting hosting server, Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N. Thanks so much for listening and hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Minorities in Publishing podcast. And we have a returning guest with Renee Watson. Hey, Renee. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, do you know that SNL, it's kind of a skit where they have the frequent, it's kind of a frequent flyers club, (laughs) where it's like, (laughs) who's hosted SNL the most? (laughs) (laughs) Am I I running for your I think you are you are officially the guest who has been on the most.
1: Oh, well, that's an honor. That makes me feel real good. Thank you
0: for having me so many times. Uh, thanks for being on and, and wanting to be on. Thank
1: I you. say this all the time. I've said it publicly. I've said it to you personally. You are my favorite moderator for panels. You are my go-to person. When I want to be in conversation with someone, you already know. I love talking with you about all things books.
0: Yay. And I love having you on because you're constantly doing wonderful things. And I just love your work so much and you as a person, obviously. So it's always such a joy and it's kind of easy breezy, you know? <laughs> like, like I don't yes. think any guests have been problematic ever. And if so, I probably didn't post that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you especially, it's just so easy. It all flows and it's just like very breathy. And so I'm really happy to just be able to talk to you in, in a big year. It is a big year for me. It is. I have to count. I feel like you've been on four or five times.
1: Okay. Um, so
0: if it's four, that's funny because this year you have four books coming. out. Yes. <laughs> so it's just all full circle. Right. How about that? Yes. I have
1: my very first poetry collection coming out in February, which I'm so proud of and nervous about. It's interesting, this year is the the year of me pushing myself to do new things or to publicly do things that I usually do privately, like write poetry, but to share it in a book. <laughs> and some of the poems are about my life, my actual self, not fiction. It feels like a, a groundbreaking year in that way. And I have my first adult novel coming out in May. So that also feels big and new and another way to push myself. And a picture book that is my most simplified picture book It's very traditional, as in short. And I write very long picture books usually. So this one is more traditional and it's just a little. Brown Girl celebrating the first day of summer illustrated by B. Jackson and then an, another picture book later in the fall about Cicely Tyson. So yeah, it's going to be a full, beautiful year.
0: And I'm so glad you mentioned that kind of year first for you because I was noticing that too with Black Girl You Are Atlas and Skin and Bones and also for Lilium Rivera her debut adult yes, novel so will be coming excited out
1: about that! I'm so proud of her
0: yeah this year too so it feels like for you both and I, I mentioned in the newsletter that it went out earlier today that your covers, you know, like I kind of put you in the same little paragraph and then your covers are both read too. So <laughs> not that there aren't a lot of books that are red, but it was just kind of like funny. I'm like, oh, like they're both debuting in the adult realm. They're both folks who really enjoy the swath of mm-hmm. literature. Like, you know what I mean? You and Lilium and myself, we read a lot. Yes. We don't just read what we're writing at the moment or maybe what you're known for writing at this time. Like you read everything, right? Like you read poetry, you read adult fiction, you read memoirs, you read the whole thing.
1: I do. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I always, I have always said I am a writer. I'm not a children's book writer. I'm not a poet. I'm not a writer who writes nonfiction or fiction. I write and whatever the story needs to be, however it comes to me, whatever I want to play with is what I end up doing. So I try not to limit myself to just this one way of telling the story, but to be open and really All the books have been a lovely, beautiful surprise because my background is in playwriting and poetry. (laughs) So I never even thought I would write a novel or a book. I didn't have that necessarily as a goal, but I knew that I would be a storyteller and that I would tell stories for my whole life. I didn't know that, but I wasn't married to just one way of telling the story.
0: I studied playwriting in college. I studied screenwriting and playwriting. Hmm. which I think is why I like dialogue so much.
1: Right. Yeah. I think if you know that about me, that poetry and playwriting were my first go-tos, my first loves. I think if you reread my work, you'll be like, oh, that makes so much sense now because I, I think I write in a very poetic way, short vignettes. And you always know like setting is almost a character in my books and the dialogue is full. You know how characters are moving because I see what's happening. Like playwrights see what they're writing for the stage. It's yeah. very much in my head that way.
0: Mm, that makes a lot all of the, sense. all the
1: blocking and and sometimes I'll have to go back and make sure that I am describing things because I can have. Two people talk to each other forever. And I'm like, Renee, you got <laughs> you got to break up this dialogue. This is a novel, not a play. So yeah, it's it's in me. That's what I first wrote. And, and I love the theater to this day. I love to see live theater. And I love poetry, especially when it's spoken. So like, you know, going to poetry, reading spoken word, poetry slams, all that kind of
0: stuff. So does that mean there may be potentially a play? <laughs> oh, I would love
1: that I mean I'm never gonna say never right I am not writing one right now <laughs> I will
0: say that that we know but,
1: um, of. <laughs> no, really, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not but yes I would love well I would love to write a play that actually you know like hasn't been written and also have some of my books adapted for a stage so I'm very much open to all of that for sure for sure
0: I was thinking that because Mahogany Brown, I believe she had her first YA, which is in verse. I think that was converted to a play, right? At oh, I point. didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think she had gotten a grant or support from and there were teens in it. it I never got to see it, but I, and she had posted video. And so when you're mentioning playwriting and I just thought about Black Girl, Your Atlas and the potential for that to to be kind of like, a one-woman show, a group show. Yes. Like everyone, you know, like you see the the growth of this narrator.
1: Because That's so funny that you said that. So my early beginnings as a storyteller, and I mean early, like high school, early college, I used to put on one-woman shows all the time for the community. <laughs> and I had a, a small acting ensemble called Where I'm From Productions. And we would put on shows in in northeast portland um that were a combination of the written word or, well, the spoken word, um, music, dance, images on the screen, you know, multidisciplinary show. And so it would mix poetry. Sometimes there would be short skits that would be performed on stage and then I'd leave and then the dancers would come out. And But I was directing it all and putting it all together. And I miss that work so much. So I have been thinking about how do we bring words to life? And how can a book live beyond the pages? And it feels ripe to have Black Girl, You Are Atlas live as something else because it is poetry. And so much of it is visual, even just the book itself and all the beautiful art that's in it. So yeah, I'm thinking of what I want to do with the book after it's out for a while and engages with readers.
0: So was the production, it was your production company or you Mm -hmm. worked with it? No, it was
1: mine. I founded it. I started it.
0: In high school. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: <laughs> wow. I, mean, I was like a ju- it was I was a junior in high school. So it wasn't official then. It had a name, but it wasn't official. But so my, was it
0: a, it was an LLC.
1: My <laughs> freshman year in college, it was. So then I got serious about doing it for real mm-hmm. and really did have an LLC. We had, you know, little fundraisers. We were very, very grassroots. But the big vision was, yeah, to have a performing arts company and to put on shows that we were writing and and you know, be out in the community engaging and having talkbacks about whatever the issues or themes were in the show. That's where that's where I started. I started on the stage. Um I used to act a lot, but you know I don't know. once I got older, I just started writing and I got published. My first book was a picture book. And you know how it is with the publisher, they always, they get you for the option for the next book. And then the next, so it just started where I started writing for children. <laughs> and so then I put playwriting and performing aside. So it feels really good at this point in my career to be thinking about going back to the stage, even for the poems in Black Girl, You Are Atlas. I've been thinking about making, you know, how do I share this work when I'm doing author visits? And events um, in a way that isn't only a conversation and a Q and A and just kind of the standard typical things we do when a book comes out. But how can we make a speakeasy environment or you know an open mic night type of thing and and I share poems and other people share poems. Like what are we going to be doing on this tour that really highlights that this is a poetry book, not a novel, and not a novel in verse, which is very different than a collection of poems. You
0: know. Very different. Let us emphasize. <laughs> Let us Why emphasize. did you say it like that? What, what? I feel like you have you have something to say about that. <laughs> I feel like poetry Twitter back when you know Twitter was way more functioning. There was this discussion that of various poets, very respected poets, who ended up writing novels and verse, especially in the children's space, had said that they were like, you can't mm-hmm. just be thinking you break up lines. And you know what I mean, like, and I think it was more to prose people who were starting to get into and being like, oh well, all these publishers want novels and verse. Novels and verse keep winning awards, but not realizing a lot of the people who were doing novels and verse were poets. Right. (laughs) not novelists who suddenly were like, I'm going to try to do. And so there was that. I know that you have that poetry background and you've always been so intrigued and very much emphasized your love for poetry and and Mm -hmm. how its origins really started for you. Your origins kind of start from poetry, but also who you read, right? And so that's that's a very different thing than I was assigned some poetry, never (laughs) read it again, going to write a novel of <laughs> like, that's a very different thing. Like, that's a very different thing. Yes, that is. And I agreed. Good. I was sitting there like liking those tweets because I know where I belong in the prose space. <laughs>
1: that is hilarious. When I was a teaching artist, there would be so many times when I wanted to teach on a certain topic. But could not find an age appropriate poem or school appropriate poem because there weren't. There just were not a lot of poetry collections that were culturally relevant for Black and Brown students that were talking about the issues they wanted to talk about. And in a style that they wanted to read. And so I have for a long time would just do the assignment that I was giving. And so I would write the poem, which is a good practice, I think, for educators to actually do what we're asking young people to do. So you can work out, you know, oh, this part is going to be hard or, you know, this is making me vulnerable emotionally. And I'm asking young people to do that. So I feel like I had a lot of empathy for my students because I was doing the assignment first. Um And I just realized over so many years of that, like, man, there just should be more poetry for young people that are collections of poems, standalone poems that teachers could use in the classroom. So I hope that part of this is is answering that need that I had when I was teaching, that I hope that teachers find this book and can pull out poems to give to their students as an example, as the model text, and then their students could write and respond from their own life.
0: And I feel like for some of us as writers, for me, I wrote poems, I wrote short stories and poems. I was really into Emily Dickinson. Mm -hmm. That was my, mm. I was like Emily Dickinson and I had all this symbolism where Mm -hmm. I'm trying to write about my period and it was so complex and abstract. It makes no damn sense.
1: All the metaphors. No sense.
0: Because I'm reading like the very, you know, you're reading the Joyce and the, you know, the epic poem. I think it's like we got Raisin in the Sun, Langston Hughes. You know, the old standby. I do. Like like my, the curriculum and syllabi when I was in public school. And I really do appreciate the public school education I got. But it was very rote and it was very much like, oh yeah, Moby Dick. Oh yeah. Of my semantic. Mm-hmm. Of oh yeah. Huck Finn. Oh yeah. It, it didn't even go outside of that. Because I didn't even get Lord of the Flies. My other classmates got Lord of the Flies. And I was like, that sounds interesting. And I didn't yeah. even get to read that. So even my my poetry learning was very stilted. And then when you go into even writing classes, you're still kind of separated. Even the more and more you kind of study writing, at least in a at least for me in like an MFA environment, I'll say that, right? And I don't know if you, because I know you've gone on to like higher ed and stuff, is fiction. You know, poetry over here, prose over here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Poetry over here. And so there's just this continual segregation where I feel like a book, like you said, like Black Girl, Your Atlas, it does give more of an entry point for students alongside the poetry that they can find online a bit more easier now right? And also those novels in verse that may have a, a bigger story. And maybe some of those chapters kind of may stand out alone. But I really love that about Black Girl, Your Atlas is each one really held its own. But it's still like most poetry collections tell a story. A collection is a collection, right? It's not just like, poems. <laughs> you just like, put them in there. You're like, done. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Not just to how Black Girl Atlas came to be, but like once it's here and you have this stack of poems, how do you want a reader to kind of come to this and come in and come out of it?
1: Yes, I want to answer that. I want to say it wasn't that those poems didn't exist, right? It was that My teachers, and then when I got older and was teaching, some of my co-teachers did not give them to students, right? So we've always, or for a long time, we've had Sandra Cisneros, Martina Spada, the list can go on and on and on, Willie Perdomo, these amazing poets that once I found them and brought them into the classroom, my students fell in love with poetry and they thought they hated poetry, but suddenly something was unlocked in them because now they're reading someone who's talking about a neighborhood that looks like theirs or using the Spanish language alongside English, you know? So I think I certainly don't want to come off as like, I've written a poetry collection and no one else was doing that. But I feel like I want to join the chorus of poets who are talking to our young people and who have something to say about what's happening in the world. And so to your point about picking the right poems for the collection, at first I just let myself write. So there were, there are a few, there might be I think there are four poems in the book that were already written many, many, many moons ago. Where I'm from, which is after Willie Perdomo, Resurrection, That Girl, and Black Like Me. Those poems have been in existence for a while. Never published, but just poems that I wrote a long time ago that I've used in the classroom that I perform often. So I was thinking of the personal becoming broad. And I want to talk about my childhood, but also want to just talk about Black girlhood in general. So I was just trying to think of what I wanted to say and what was on my heart. So I would just write. I just had journals that I was making up new poems, taking things from old journals that maybe there was a stanza here and a line there that I never finished. And then I finished them. So I had maybe 10 poems that didn't fit. Like once, once I had a body of work, and I sat down with first my like my readers that I always share work with. So Ellen Hagen, you know, you know her good friend, co-writer of Watch Us Rise. She was probably the first person that I was like, okay, I'm writing a poetry collection. And I don't know what I'm doing as far as like building the building blocks. So she read through them, and she just starred the ones that felt like, oh, these are speaking to each other. So maybe add some more along these themes or this vein, you know. And then I did that and shared it with my editor, Namrata. And we together were like, yeah, maybe these poems might feel like for a different book or don't feel as strong as, you know, these. And that's kind of how we shaped it. So the work spoke to me, I guess, and kind of said, yeah, we, these poems are in conversation with each other. And so once I got those, I knew what else I needed to write to kind of fill in the gaps or what themes were emerging that I wanted to be more intentional about. You know, as a writer, sometimes you don't know what a thing is about until you finish the first draft of it. And then I could go back and say, oh, this is about sisterhood. And it's about um, loving yourself in, in the midst of not being loved all the time. So now I know what I need to assign myself. So that's kind of how I approached it. There's a section that are kind of my tribute poems or old poems that honor Black women who are renowned. Like we know their names for many reasons, from Michelle Obama to Brianna Taylor. So I wanted to have a section for Black women whose names were recognizable. I knew I wanted to have poems about. Black women who you won't know their names, but I know that I'm talking about one of my aunties or, you know, a neighbor. So I wanted it to feel universal and also very, very personal, if that makes sense.
0: And you said that there are poems that started years ago. And could you say that for the rest of the books that are coming out too? Getting back to the fact that you have four books coming out this year, understanding you weren't like pow, pow, pow. Like, (laughs) oh yeah, I'm doing a book every two months and (laughs) everything, like... No, I literally here. have one
1: every season, Jen. It's wild. I, I did not write them all at the same time. <laughs> and I think that each book was in response to something happening, both very outside of my life, outside of myself, and very deep within myself. So with Summer is Here, which is a picture book about the first day of summer, summer is my favorite season. It's my birthday. I was born in July I write sometimes, you know, biographies or books that have the very, maybe heavy, even social themes. And I really just wanted to write a fun, simple book, a Black joy book. I wrote Summer is Here, I want to say, maybe even in 2017, <laughs> 2018 is when I turned that manuscript in. And it just took a while for the art that we had the pandemic. I mean, it was so many things that kept kind of getting in the way of that book coming out, but I wrote it a long time ago. I want to say, yeah, it must've been, it was 2017 because I wrote it after Piecing Me Together. I had been on tour and I had been having these very meaningful and important conversations, but heavy conversations about intersectionality and what does it mean to be a girl in this world and feel like people want to break you? And how do you remain whole in a world that wants to break you? So coming off of that tour and all those conversations and the whirlwind of the awards and everything that was happening, I wanted to just simplify and go back to a place of when I was a kid, what did I love to do? I loved blowing bubbles on the porch. I loved swimming in the summertime, Loved going up to the ice cream truck. So that book is very much about the things that I loved to do as a kid, and just wanting to also make sure that the work I put in the world is diverse and that there's a range. I don't wanna always tell the same story. So I wanted to make sure that I had a Black Joy book, which at that time, When I wrote it, I had not written the Ryan Hart series, right? That wasn't even an idea yet. So this is coming after What Mama Left Me, which was about domestic violence, This Side of Home, gentrification, piecing me together, you know? So that was the book that I first started thinking about Black joy and making sure the representation of that was in my work.
0: That makes sense. I bring it up again because I feel like we see the end game right like right. you see someone has multiple book deals or all these books are coming but we don't realize the origins and the time mm-hmm. that comes especially the with
1: picture books For sure. And graphic novels. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense though. I mean, those illustrations are beautiful and gorgeous and they just take a different amount of time to create, I think. And then again, the life that happened in the years 2020 through the end of 2022, it was intense. There was a lot happening. So I was fine waiting for that art. And I, I just am a firm believer. When I look back over my career, there are sometimes... These moments where I had to wait for something or I got a no and would be devastated at the no or so frustrated about the waiting. And then, of course, it's not till years later, sometimes that you look back and like, oh, it had to happen that way. It absolutely needed to happen that way. So for whatever reason, summer is here. It wasn't the time for it to come out and. 2018 or 19 or 20 and so on. But it's coming. It's coming this year. And I'm excited about that. I was invited to write the picture book on Cicely Tyson. So it is an honor. And she has such a big, massive life. So taking her autobiography and trying to figure out how what am I going to pull from her stories and her words and share it with young readers was a challenge, but it was one that I was excited about. And yeah, I'm proud of that book. And um, Sherry Shine is the illustrator for that. And she is a quilt her. So these illustrations are first quilts that will then be the illustration for the book. They are stunning and beautiful. And I can't wait for people to see what she's cooking up. So she's still working on some of the spreads, but the ones that I've seen are amazing. And then of course, there's the adult novel, which has been on the back burner. I want to say, I mean, my first kind of introduction to these characters was in that theater company I was talking about that I started in Portland, Oregon. So I wrote a one act play about this woman who is, she is a plus size woman. She's living in Portland. She's trying to balance love life, parenting. She's a single mom and her job. And you follow her on the way to this journey of her getting married. The whole play was building up to the day of the wedding. And on the day of the wedding, she gets this horrific news that changes everything. And in the original script, that was the end. The ending was the news that she gets on her wedding day. And I have always wanted we performed this thing all over the city of Portland, monologues from it. I would perform to audition for The. Like it was so in my head. And I loved these characters, the side characters. I wanted to know more of them. When I went to college and at the new school, I resurrected these characters in a solo show at the Lincoln Center. It was my first time doing anything that big in New York. And it was because of this solo show class that I took with Alice. And so, yeah, these characters have been in my heart for a long, long time. I'm Talking just for context, the years of the performing arts program I'm talking about was like 2000 through 2005. So I have had these characters with me that long. Through the pandemic, I just had time to actually sit and write and sit and think about what's next. What do I wanna do next? What do I wanna say? I've been in conversation so much with young people that I want to talk to the adults who care for them and nurture them and love them. Feel like there's a conversation to be had with the women who are raising our young people and I want to be in conversation with them about beauty. And there's a very much the same issues and themes I write about in my young adult work, um, but I wanted to have the conversation with adults. So this book feels like a long time in the making and it is very personal and then not at all. It's so interesting when you write fiction, I feel like people always think I'm writing about myself. <laughs> And it makes sense. I get it. I write about dark-skinned women who are big and who live in Portland. But most of the time, that's really where it ends as far as the actual factual things I have in common with my characters. Her personality and a lot of what she goes through is actually not my story, but I know these women so, so well. And, And I'm in a little bit of all of them, but mostly just kind of putting back into the world what I've been hearing and taking in from my friends um, about motherhood and dating as a single woman in your 40s. Like I really get into some adult stuff that I I was happy
0: to do. And it's always funny because I feel like that's what makes you good storyteller, right? Is that you can separate the self while well, also they, being connected yeah. to the character to be able to understand and let them lead in a way, right? Like this is you, but I recognize some of this decision-making <laughs> or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> It's fun to let your character surprise you too, or to take you places where I kind of would never go. And my character will start to go there. I'm like, oh, that's what we are doing. Okay. You know, and to learn, I had to do a lot of research for this book. I actually did not know a whole lot about the body positivity movement and the history of fat activism and any of that. Like I just, I have lived in this body my whole life. So I never, I don't know. It just wasn't A thing I needed to learn about. I've been a big woman. I was born 12 pounds, 10 ounces. I came into this world big. And so there were some things that I didn't know. I was on my learning edge while writing the book. So it was, it felt good to grow as an author too. And just as a person to just learn about the conversations that are being had around body image, self love, all of that
0: kind of stuff. Yeah. When we last spoke for the podcast, I believe that was the start of the Ryan Hart series. So it was at the height of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was 2020. I remember I was in my bedroom. We're all like, "All right, so we're just doing this now. We're doing yeah, all we the virtual stuff." Yeah, yeah, we we're quarantined, and and I remember you had said that. You know, every book brings new challenges because we were looking at, we're like, it was or it was approaching your 10-year anniversary. Every book is a challenge. Every book is something different. And now when you're talking about these kind of new entities because you have the picture books and you started, like if people know Renee Watson from the very beginning as author, picture book. But now you're like, well, we have the poetry and we have the adult book and I'm finding new things about myself. So So do you feel like with these two books that you kind of set it for skin and bones, which you learned, but also with Summers here and the Cicely Tyson one, like what did each of those kind of bring for you, especially once you start seeing them come together for real? I I stand by the comment I made to you. Four years ago.
1: (laughs) Every book brings its challenges. Writing is hard. So here's the thing, you know, you can write a book because you've written a book, right? There's that part of me that's like, you've done this before, Renee, you can do this. But mostly I haven't done this before because it is a brand new book. It's new characters, new plot, new style of writing, new language. So I know that I can write a book. I haven't Done this particular book, this story. So every time you start anew, there's just this, I get to a point where I'm like, what am I doing? And why did I say I could do this? And maybe I shouldn't have agreed to this contract. It's usually in the revision stage for me. The my first drafts, I'm very comfortable with them being messy and me not knowing, you know, where something is going. Um, but when it gets to the point where a book is under contract and you are you gotta figure it out. Yeah, I get very nervous and frustrated and all the things, and then I I figure it out. So these books, I think they have taught me to trust my instinct. I think I've also learned to play more too. Skin and bones, I have taken a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to say creative risk, but I have pushed the boundaries of what we do in novels, right? Very much like piecing me together. There are chapters that are just one sentence or there are lists. There are actual poems versus just a scene with dialogue. I am merging poetry and prose in that way. And we move the margins in. This book is about three plus size women who are trying to figure out how to navigate space in many ways, right? The space literally of their physical bodies, emotional space, taking up space literally in a seat at a restaurant or on the plane. There's a lot about them fitting in, squeezing in. And then the bigger context of being Black women in Portland, Oregon, a very white city. And what does taking up space look like? And what has the legacy been of Black folks in the Pacific Northwest? So I wanted the page to literally be the metaphor and the container For what the story is trying to tell. So we move the margins in. So the words are in the middle of the page, kind of squeezed in a little bit. So I'm just playing around and doing all kinds of things in this book that felt fun. And then it felt fun when I was creating it. And then in revision, I was like, oh my goodness, now I have to do some things that are just pushing me further and further into this world that I've created. So it was hard and challenging, just like every other book. It's hard and challenging, but I'm really proud of myself for for finishing. I'm proud of myself for sticking to some things that I really wanted. And to just kind of, I feel like I'm constantly coming more and more into myself and knowing this is my voice as a writer. This is my lane. This is where I, you know I thrive. And this is a Renee Watson way of telling the story. I think I'm getting more sure of myself in that way. Whereas a few books ago, maybe even the first Ryan Hart book, I wasn't quite there yet, even. I feel more confident to take risk or to do things that I don't know if y'all will like it, but I hope you do. But
0: I really like it. (laughs) you know. And to be at peace with that is a new place for me. And it's also great when people respect it because of what you've accomplished. I'm not really even referring to like that number what some people might factor into as sales. Like Renee has established herself as a very respected and attuned artist and person that people know who you are and what you bring with every book so that the reader trusts you. And that's what comes with it to me. It's not a quantifiable number, though someone can make it that. Some office somewhere like, like with that PL, profit and loss, y'all. PL. But what I mean is like when you know there's an author like you are invested in, you just keep showing up because mm. the author keeps showing up. So. Thank you. And I love Black Girl Atlas, which is like duh um, <laughs> that was gonna happen. Cause I was at NCTE. Renee and I and a bunch of other wonderful people were at NCTE in 2023. And I went straight into the PRH booth and I'm like, show them my tag because it says author PRH. And I was like, hey, I'd like some arcs. I know you got them. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I would like the Renee Watson, please. (laughs) And Amber McBride was right next to me and I was like, two. (laughs) I was like, like, y'all sending me out tomorrow. You need to give me what I need today. And so I got... Black Girl, You Are Atlas, which I love. And it has the art from Akua Holmes in it. I have an arc, just to let people who are listening know. I don't have the final product. It is out February 13th. But I do get the black and white images of Akuas. And then at the very, very end of the arc is a full-color version, which is just gorgeous. And I just want to tell you some of my favorite poems. I love the one about Diane. How some, especially, sister. yeah, DYAN after canon, <laughs> and I'm old enough to know who that is, <laughs> and how, like, you know, she made the prints in the snow so you can follow her, it's just mm. such beautiful imagery. I like the curl, the press and curl. Mm. And there was also the woman about the boy,
1: oh, turning
0: 13, mm hmm, that raggedy boy. Yeah. <laughs> I think the ladies are gonna love that one <laughs> that's universal no matter what age oh, you are goodness. <laughs> goodness, goodness. yeah the age poems were hard
1: and I'm glad I wrote them Surviving so for listeners January. there are what turning seven turning 13 turning
0: 16.
1: Yeah. Are how to survive
0: your teen years and different formats too. Like you do different styles within black girl Atlas. So there's not just like one way you do haikus and I'm not a haiku fan. I'll be honest. I told people, I'm like, I don't really love the itty bitty poem, but I really like your haikus. So Thank you've you. converted me. Back. <laughs> I think I was just like, cause I had to write haikus a lot in school. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, you're making the crappiest haiku because you're just going by 575, Right. You're just trying to make it. (laughs) Like, you're trying to make anything good. You're just like, oh, I got to, like, count on your fingers. Like, how many syllables? Mm -hmm. I thought these were very powerful and potent. Like, they hit. Your haikus hit.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate knowing which ones resonate with you. It's nice. you just never know what a reader is also bringing to the work. And so the thing about writing a collection of poems that's different than a novel is that there could be one poem that somebody really, really loves. and that mean, I don't know. it just means something to me to to get the feedback from people of what what was making them say amen, <laughs> or made them emotional, or that they felt like they had that a similar experience, which is so wild to me. I know we know this as storytellers. We say it a lot. But in telling your own story, that's how you connect with other people, right? And so it's just always beautiful for me to feel like I wrote something so personal about my dad or about my sister being the, a really great big sister. And then I'll have all these other people telling me the stories about their big sisters and their fathers and you know similar tales and so yeah I'm excited to share the work and I appreciate all of your your support and love and cheering on
0: (laughs) oh yeah I'm always on the sidelines somewhere and sometimes with cookies yeah most of the time you mostly (laughs) you're you're very good to me I try.
1: Boiled. I mean, like next time I see you, if you don't have cookies, what are we going to do? I'm going to be like, oh no,
0: did I make her mad? It'll more than likely be like, I didn't have time. Okay.
1: I'll go with that. I'll, I'll keep
0: that in mind. To get the, the cookie spot. But I do try, you know. It's... Sometimes I have them in my freezer just in case. I'll be like, just in case I don't get to go. I got the the backup free. I always have backup. I always have backup. (laughs) You You
1: always share. You're very good to me.
0: I do. So I would love if you would grace us with a poem from Black Girl Atlas again by Renee Watson with fine art by Akua Holmes E K U A H O L M E S. If you want to check out Akua's work,
1: sure. I'm going to read. When I say I love us. When I say I love us. What I'm saying is, I love how we cock our heads to the side, give the stare down of all stare downs when we really mean business. What I'm saying is, I love how saying you good has countless meanings depending on how we ask it. When I say I love us, what I'm saying is, I love how we stop what we're doing when our song comes on, how we sing with our whole bodies. When I say I love us, what I mean is I love our cornrows and fades, bantu knots and locks. I mean, I love our press and curl, our afro and twist out and bald and low cut and braids and beads and bonnet and do-rag. I mean, I love, love our bounce back, our clap back, our backbone, our backstory, our comeback. We go way back. Our history dripping and damp from ocean waves. I mean, I love our resistance love our resilience. I mean, I love us loving us. I mean, I love loving us. I mean, I love the love that is us.
0: Thank you so much, Renee, for being on, for being a dear friend, for being a powerful artist, and for sharing that poem with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. And Renee, I feel like people know where to find you, but let's remind them.
1: So I have a website. It's my name, www.ReneeWatson.net. And it's Renee with two E's at the end, R-E-N-E-E.
0: And you're on Instagram. I don't know if you're still on Twitter. A lot of people are (laughs) jumping
1: I am there and not there. If you really want to connect with me on social media, Instagram is the best way and my handle is Harlem, Portland.
0: So the city and the city. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: the two homes, the two places yeah. that I live.
0: And you had some just like you share a lot of great stuff, wonderful photos. Emmy winner Tabitha Brown was talking about Ryan Hart and Tabitha recently <laughs> won an Emmy.
1: <laughs> so special. And I have to say this, yeah. I mean, just an abundance of blessings. Tabitha Brown and Nikki Giovanni. Yeah, blurbed, Nikki, you what know, it? Book, which was, I mean, i the little girl in me who grew up reading her work, to have her words on my book of poetry, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever get over it. <laughs> it, it was very, very special to me mm-hmm. for that to happen. She's very generous. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I really, it means a lot to me that she blurbed the book.
0: And y'all had a great conversation. So I'll have to make sure to share that video on the podcast. Channels all that good stuff, too, because when y'all had that wonderful conversation, was it a, a year or two ago? It was
1: last year, last fall. Her book, A Library, was coming out mm. the same day as Maya Song. And she's, you know, such mm. a good friend of Maya mm. Angelou. So we were in conversation talking about our picture books and mostly talking about her friendship with Maya Angelou.
0: Uh, I can't wait. I feel like there are so many more convos of y'all to come, especially with Black Girl Your Atlas coming out into the world and blessing us. And hopefully, y'all will go to your indies. We love our indies. Yes, yes. But do what you got to do, y'all. Like support the libraries. We love libraries. If you got to go through Amazon, there's no judgment here. <laughs> literally no judgment. We just love our indies. Indies love us. So we, if you can, please do. And you could just kind of like put in a Google alert for Renee Watson this year for the <laughs> books because Black Girl Atlas, February, two in May, May 7th, Skin and Bones and Summer is here. And then the Cicely Tyson and Fall. Do you have a date? For November, November. November 5th. Yeah, please stay up because I feel like Renee is going to be a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please come see me. If
1: I'm in your city, I will be going on several book tours. <laughs> So come say hello. Even if you don't have the book, just come say hi. I would love to meet meet you all. And some of you I know, but we haven't seen you. I feel like I'm still seeing people for the first time since quarantine. So I would love to see you all if I'm coming to your city. So stay tuned for dates.
0: Thank you again, Renee. This has been such a good catch up. And it's, again, it's just always a pleasure to have you on and for you to be. The most frequent MIP guest in year 10. Congratulations and happy anniversary. Thank you. And thank you all for listening and stay tuned for more from MIP. Thanks again for listening to the Minorities in Publishing podcast. As a reminder, you can find the podcast on Tumblr at minoritiesinpublishing.tumblr.com or on Instagram and Twitter at minoritiesinpub, and you can sign up for the monthly newsletter. Also, feel free to rate the podcast on your listening platform. Take care.